the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. To representative offering securities and advisory services through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, a broker, dealer, and registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Satera is under separate ownership from Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Rosenthal Wealth Management Group is located at 9265 Corporate Circle in Manassas, Virginia, and can be reached at 703-330-3100. Chris McKay is not affiliated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, nor Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Bob Jones is an employee of Rosenthal Wealth Management Group, and affiliated with Satira. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Well, welcome to another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show. You know, and Larry has upgraded his appearance if you're watching on LarryRosenthal.tv because Dina Arnett's in studio with us, Dina. <laughs> Looking good today. Glad to see you today. Good morning. Good morning. I am not Larry Rosenthal. No, you're not. You're certainly not. And Larry no. is taking a little time off today, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about some of the exciting things he's up to a little bit later on in the show as well. So, That's right. And Larry knows how to have some fun. <laughs> yes, he does. And we're talking about some other things to do as well today, and that's uh, on you. What's going on? Well, you know what? It was it was a very interesting week for the markets and the economy. So let's just go ahead and and, and start out with that. I've got a got some numbers here for us today. So all three major U.S. indices posted positive returns for the week. The Dow was up almost three percent for the week. The S and P was up three and a quarter, and the Nasdaq was up just a little over three for the week. That was a very, very nice week. But let me tell you what, we had such a rough second quarter of the year. And interestingly enough, the third quarter of this year has has started off with a bang in terms of the market. The Dow is still down 7.09% for the year. But since July 1st, that blue chip index is up almost 10%. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. The S&P since July 1st is up 13 and a quarter percent. The very tech heavy Nasdaq up 18 and a half percent just since July 1st. It just it just feels like a little bit of a relief from all this bad news that we've had for a while. It it absolutely does. It absolutely does. You know, the S&P is still down 10, a little over 10 percent for the year. The Nasdaq is still down 16 percent for the year. But these are very nice rebounds. Some might call it a relief rally. Well, why are we relieved? We're relieved because in part, this week, we had two inflation numbers come in 
below analyst expectations. Now, one data point's not going to create a trend, certainly, but we've all been watching for a bit to see if that June CPI reading of 9.1% to see if that might be the peak of inflation for this cycle. And when the CPI number came in last week, it came in at 8.5. Still not a fun number. We're used to 2% inflation, maybe two and a half. We're still well ahead of where we've been since the 08 recession. But this is the first little glimmer that perhaps... Perhaps inflation has peaked and now maybe we're going to start coming down the backside. And the market has rallied on that with the notion that if inflation has truly peaked, perhaps the Fed won't have to work as aggressively to raise interest rates when they meet again in September. I'm reading both sides of this. Um, I'm reading that perhaps the Fed may only raise rates a half a percentage point in September, but the Predominant opinion seems to be that the Fed will raise rates again three quarters of a percentage point with the thought, hey, one data point is not a trend. It's a nice relief and the market is reflecting that certainly, but we still need more economic data to come in to show us some type of trend. And it's just going to take a period of several months to to be able to determine that. Have we been just a little bit spoiled, Adina, when you think about interest rates over time? I mean, we were so low for so long. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's actually, it's interesting you use that terminology because I've used that same terminology with my clients quite a lot. Oh. We got used to very low inflation, very low interest rates, stellar market performance. Yeah perhaps we are a little bit spoiled. I remind my clients that if you're going to be an investor, you have to expect volatility. You have to expect times when the market soars and then times when the market takes some of that bounty back. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are today. It has felt like a rotten six and a half months, seven months, six and a half. Thereabouts. January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Seven and a half months. There we go. Um, It's been a rough time this year. Mm -hmm. But at no point has the sky been falling. At no point have we seen what I consider to be disaster numbers. Yeah, the NASDAQ was down at one point over 20%. That's definitely bear market territory. Same for the Dow. Same for the S&P. But what we know is that historically, all of those major indices have been there and done that before. Sure. And they've always come back. So I have no reason at this stage to believe that the market won't stage a comeback. I don't know if if this six-week period is a relief rally, a bear market rally, or if indeed it's a comeback. But what I do know is that if we have confidence that the markets will return, as they always have before. Mm-hmm. We need to stay in these markets so that we can participate in this stuff. Yeah. Right? If you're someone who got scared out of the market in June, what we know right now is that June 30th was the bottom of this market cycle so far. And if you had gotten scared out of the market, just thrown everything into cash in the month of June, you would have missed this nice right. six weeks rally 
of whatever sort that it happens to be, plus, right? Plus accumulating the shares that you could have accumulated over that time, too. So. Well, and anytime we've got reinvested dividends and capital gains, absolutely we're getting more shares. But the bigger point here is more often than not, individual investors shoot themselves in the foot yeah. oh, trying yeah. to get out of the way of a bad market or back into a really hot market. Mm-hmm. The investors who have fared the best over time are the ones who don't get scared off of their plan. Sometimes investors are able to do this on their own. They set it and forget it. They walk away and they live their lives. Other investors need a little help, need a little sure. encouragement. And if that's and if that's your case, that's where we come in, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. can help you. I had a client last week laugh and say, yeah, I'm glad you talked me off the edge last time we <laughs> talked. Yeah, and I'm sure that's kind of how you see yourself as a little bit of a, a counselor in that way. Um, I, had, I had a client one time, one of the biggest compliments a, a client has ever given me. He says, do you're my financial therapist. <laughs> there you go. On the couch. On the couch. I'm not trained as a therapist, but hey, if that's if that's how you want to view me, if you want to call me when times feel really rough and you're afraid you're about to make a bad decision with your money, call me. I'll I, help you. I got to tell you, I want to. I was probably going to call you this last week. I should have called you this last week. We were walking into a car dealership and we were looking at buying a car just for fun, just looking around, right? And so I had some fun with that. And we looked at the we looked at the the when they came back with the interest rates and such. My mouth went kind of down. I'm like, ah, no, no. I'm so I guess I was just so spoiled with those low interest rates. When I saw that high sticker price, I'm like, I don't think so. And they (laughs) just uncomfortably walked away. Interesting that you bring that up because I went and test drove some new cars recently, and many dealerships have a markup on their cars right now. Some as much as $5,000 markup on a Their car. Their inventories are so low. That's the inventories are low, and they're trying to make up for that. So if you're in the market for a new car, make sure you look at that sticker price very carefully. Yeah, make oh sure yeah. you look at whatever financing offer they give you very carefully because the times are very, very different right now when it comes to buying a car. It's just like with anything. You kind of look for the inventories to be really high before you go in because you always get a better deal with the high inventory because they want to get rid of it. My husband and I were at a at a particular dealership recently, and, and it's a dealership we've bought from a number of times, and we like their cars. We like the brand of car, and every single vehicle that they had in this particular model, it was either black or silver or white. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's boring. That's right. You need something red, right? Uh, what well, you know me. <laughs> I do. Right? Um, yeah. It, and, and again, a sign of the times. We've got... Problems getting the the little computer chips that go into right. most of the vehicles that mm-hmm. are produced these days. Mm-hmm. So what the variety that we might have been used to prior to the pandemic it doesn't exist right now. You know, it's interesting. I have a friend who works at a car manufacturing plant in Indiana, and he talks about he gets a lot of time off these days. They just don't have oh, chips. Oh, no kidding. He's just, yeah, he gets a lot of time to travel. He gets a lot of vacation time because there's just no chips to make cars. Right, so right. Um, uh, unusual times that we live in, but for for the reason that we're here today to talk about markets and financial planning, we've had a nice six weeks. It it's has. been a really good breather. Yeah. I can't say if, excuse me, I can't say if the worst is over. We we are one or two data points from another down day in the market, mm-hmm. um, because the market definitely reacts to these data points that come in. Housing starts, unemployment data, certainly inflation data. 
And did you know the federal government, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they report inflation data from two different angles. They report it from the angle of you and I as consumers. That's the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. That tells us how much we're paying for what they call a basket of goods. And they're looking at a bunch of different components in that basket of goods. They're looking at food. They're looking at energy. They're looking at medical costs. They're looking at recreation. Um, Alcoholic beverages is in there. Education and communication commodities are in there. Water, sewer, and trash collection is in there. Clothing, transportation services. But the biggie in that market basket of goods is shelter. That means the cost to buy a house Mm. or the cost to rent a a house or apartment or other living accommodation. That's almost one-third of the entire CPI calculation. That's interesting. Yeah, it's big. So if I look at all of this, shelter is the biggest component. Food is the next biggest component. I've got transportation and energy and medical care services at about the same level. So if I look at those five components and if I see that four of the five are going up in cost, Mm -hmm. that lets me know that inflation is still going up. In fact, the past month when we saw inflation drop down, it was largely because of gas prices. Gas prices have come off a bit in the past month, and that's what brought the overall CPI number down. Housing numbers are still going up. They're, they're not going up with they're not going up with the same velocity right. that we've seen, but housing costs are still rising. Food costs are still rising. So until we get those other major components under control, we're still going to see this elevated inflation. Why why is that, Dina? Is it still because of transportation issues coming back to norm? Um that those prices um, are so high or I, I think that is some of it, certainly. Um, it is It is still quite expensive to transport. You know, if you think about all the cargo ships on the, on the port mm-hmm. out on the West Coast, it's still very expensive to unload those, put the different things on a truck and ship them across, not ship them, but drive them across the country oh, to the sure. East Coast. It's It's... It's a big cost, and a big part of that increasing cost is the cost of fuel. Interestingly enough, the gasoline index in July, it fell by 7.7%. That's the largest drop since April of 2020. Wow. Energy prices as a whole fell back a little over 4.5% for that month. So that's the biggest piece of this lowered CPI number. Gotcha. There was some offset, though, because while gas and energy prices came down, as I was just saying, the cost of food and and shelter went up. So food prices were up by 1.1%. And if you've been to the grocery store lately, you knew that already. Oh, yeah, sure. And shelter costs have gone up by half a percent. So we've got we've got this this lever and pulley thing going on in our economy, right? I've got some things that are coming down while other things are going up. And this is going to be, I think, the situation for the next several months, maybe as much as a year to 18 months, because the the easing of overall inflation is going to be difficult because we've got this strong labor market. We've got rising wages, which sounds like a really, really good thing, but those 
provide inflationary pressures. So that's why the Fed has to keep working on these rate hikes and trying to engineer what Larry so often calls this soft landing, bringing inflation down without sending the labor market tumbling, without sending us into a recession. But the challenge is that higher housing costs are really difficult for buyers and renters, and this can continue to strain the economy. That's right. Uh, just looking at property prices, we used to go down the road and say, yeah, I think I'll look at that. But the, the costs are just so much higher now. It's just hard to invest in something like that right now. Well, and interestingly enough, the, the housing prices themselves are staying steady while the interest rates are going up. Mm -hmm. So the same house that you would have paid, at, let's call it $1,500 a month for a year and a half ago, you might pay $2,000 a month for it right now. And that's a, a significant budget differential for most people. Have most people gone back onto the fence saying, well, I'll wait before I invest in a home or I'll wait before I buy something now because of these We're starting. Rates? We're starting to see some slowdown. We're starting to see a, a longer lead time to sell houses. We've got a house in my neighborhood that's been on the market longer than I've seen in a good bit. I, I, I would say this house has probably been on the market for a good month and a half or two months. And last year, houses were selling with multiple offers above oh, asking yeah. price in a weekend. Yeah. So, so we're seeing the timeline stretched out, and that's indicative of the increased cost to buy a house. Which is the whole purpose to slow the inflation down by raising the prices of everything and the interest rate. That's the reason they're doing all of this. Is to Exactly right. If I look at what the Fed's trying to do right now, the Fed is trying to slow down the economy, which will bring down inflation, and they're trying to do it without tipping us into recession. And I just told you that we've got five components of CPI that make up the vast majority of it. And housing is a full third. Mm. Well, almost a third, yeah. if I'm going to be technical. So I've got wages going up. I've got housing prices that are not yet truly coming down. So that inflation idea, inflation is going to stay elevated until that starts to come down. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's take a quick break here and come back with some more information. If We'd love to hear from you, by the way, if you'd like to dial in, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123, to talk to Dina Arnett, who's in studio with us, for Larry Rosenthal on the Larry Rosenthal Show today. We'll be back in a moment. You are listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. 
CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. seen and heard him on Fox Business, CNBC, and the Wall Street Journal. Larry Rosenthal is here right now to take your calls at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Well, we're glad to have you back. If you'd like to dial in, 855-767-3123 is the number to call. 855-ROSE-123. To talk to Dina Arnett, who's in studio with us here this morning. Dina. One big thing that also happened this week, the uh, Congress actually passed the $700 billion Inflation Reduction Act on Friday. (laughs) So uh, President Biden's expected to sign that. Um, He may have already signed it, actually. I, I didn't look to see before we went on the air this morning. But this will become law. And this spending program invests in green energy. It lowers some health care costs. It's giving Medicare the ability to negotiate prescription drug prices. So this is a net positive for seniors. However, it does increase the size of the IRS by about 87,000 agents. There's a big budget line item in there for that. Um, policymakers also added a 1% excise tax on what are called tax or, or stock buybacks. So if I'm Amazon and I decide I want to buy back some of my stock, now I'm going to have a 1% excise tax on that repurchase. And large corporations are going to have a 15% minimum tax. Um, mm. As you might guess, there are people who love it. There are people who hate it. The Republicans have criticized this bill as completely unnecessary, especially during a period of high inflation. Republicans say it'll do little to help middle and lower income Americans. The Democrats are hailing it as the first major uh, uh, environmental law that they have been able to pass. It is it is pretty big. There's a whole lot in it. We're going to be studying it in the weeks to come. And Larry's actually going to do a webinar for anyone who'd like to join in. We don't have it scheduled, but just, just kind of put this in the back of your mind. Larry Rosenthal is prepping a webinar to tell you everything you need to know about the new Inflation Reduction Act. I got to ask, with that many IRS agents, maybe we can actually finally get the IRS on the phone when we want to call them. What do you think? You're not the first person to say that to me. Yeah, I can imagine. It's hard to, hard to get a hold of them. It's been difficult if you need to do anything with them in the past. But we Well, see. and with, with a lot of the government agencies, right, we've all been working in some regard remotely since about first quarter 2020. So it's made contacting different agencies very difficult. I'm, I'm hearing clients tell me that it's also likewise difficult to get in touch with people at the Social Security Administration. I can imagine, yeah. So um, 
we're we're in a time of of real flux, and I think we're in a time of absolute societal change. We went from in the very early early inception of the United States being a, a largely agricultural economy, and then we moved into being a manufacturing economy, and then we moved into being a service economy. I think we're in the midst of another big uh, societal and economic change, and it's hard. Things become way more volatile when when those kind of changes are in the works. Not a bad thing, but a bit of a scary thing at times. Yeah, no, no doubt. 855-767-3123 is the number to call. That's 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Dina Arnett, who's in studio with us here today. With any of your questions, call us up. Let us know what you're thinking here today. We had a lot of questions about cryptocurrency, (laughs) Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, all these different things. And and up until now, the cryptocurrency market has been unregulated. It's not backed by any physical asset. It's not regulated by any agency. And because of that, the volatility in those markets is really, really high. We've seen a number of 50% swings in cryptocurrencies just in the past year. So right now, the SEC is considering new reporting rules for hedge funds that will require them to disclose more about their exposure to those cryptocurrencies. And the, this really has has come up because hedge fund Three Arrows Capital crashed this summer. And, and that created this whole domino effect across the crypto industry. There were Customers had their funds frozen, platforms closed down, and the U.S. Treasury actually has imposed sanctions on something called Tornado Cash. Huh. Uh, this is a mixer platform that actually hides crypto transactions and their owners. So you're going to see a lot in the coming weeks, months, years about regulation on cryptocurrency. Um it's no secret I view crypto as very, very speculative. Yeah, volatile, I, too. Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And anything speculative is going to be volatile. We all know people who've made money in it, and and good for them. But this is not something that that I, as an advisor, am comfortable with. Once the regulations come in, maybe. Gotcha. Yeah, a cryptocurrency has been something I've invested in in the past, and sometimes it feels really good when you see it go up so fast because there was such a you could make a lot of money in the in the, in the beginning. Bitcoin was really, you know, it was volatile. But boy, people made millions and millions and millions of dollars at it. But oh, they did, yeah. they did. And I think I think we're at a stage now. It's it's. You know, the very early investors, I think, are the ones who made the most money, and now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. I equate this to when investors want to get in the market after it's already had a great big run-up. Yeah. The train has already left, guys. The train has left the station. (laughs) But, But again, once we have a regulated crypto market, maybe it becomes a more viable place. Maybe crypto ends up being backed by something. I I don't know. I don't know where this will go. Again, to me, still largely speculative, but there are changes coming. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I know a lot of people are probably of the opinion that why would you want to regulate it? It's regulation is a double edged sword, isn't it? Sometimes you get things that you want. Sometimes you get a little bit too much of what you don't want. So I don't know. 
there is regulation, and then sometimes regulation goes a little bit too far. Yeah. We're in the very early stages of that with crypto. Hard to tell where it will go, but I do I do expect to see some regulation on cryptocurrency. Yeah, it's interesting because here on the show we get a lot of questions about cryptocurrency. We get calling out, should I invest in that? Should I invest in that? And every time the answer is no, it's too speculative, it's too dangerous. But, you know... I guess they don't like the answer because they still <laughs> still want to try, you know. You know, I think of investing like a pyramid. So if you can just picture a pyramid in your mind, you've got the base of the pyramid. And to me, that base is the, the tried and true, the solid things, the blue chip stocks, mm-hmm. large cap value, large cap growth. Those things, those companies that have been around for a really, really long time have a lot of money on the balance sheet. Maybe they pay a dividend so you can reinvest that dividend and, and grow more shares that way. But as you go up the pyramid... Things get a little less like that. Mm -hmm. At the very top of the pyramid, there's a little, I'm going to call it a 10% little point, where if you wanted to invest in those most speculative, most aggressive or risky types of ventures, that's where your cryptocurrency would go. Mm -hmm. It would go in that wedge that, hey, if it all went to flat zero, your financial plan still works. It's nice to have a little piece of something to add some oomph. We all want that, right? Give me a little bit of extra where I can find it. Yeah, it's something to play with a little bit, too. So. Something to play with a little yeah. bit, but it's not the entire bedrock of your financial plan. I was going to ask you when it's coming to re- when you're getting kind of down that road a little bit and you're looking at that retirement uh, coming into the window. Um, when do you kind of kind of switch around so you can get that income coming in? You know, you want that money coming in. What types of things do you need to be invested in? You talked about dividends. That's a big one, too, right, to have some money coming in, too. Absolutely. And it's different for every person because every person has a little bit different ability to withstand risk. But in general, when someone is in a two-year window of retirement, we start looking at the plan and we start looking at how much income those investments have to provide in retirement. It may be a very, very high number and we may want to protect as much as three years worth on the very front end. And in that case, I'm going to buy very super conservative things. I'm going to have a lot of cash. I may have some I bonds. I may have some corporate bonds, some municipal bonds, things that aren't going to move wildly in those first one to three years of retirement. And then I've still got to have the rest of the portfolio situated to outpace taxes and inflation over the long run. So there's no point where I just take everything and just go super duper conservative with it. But there is a point where you kind of retool, right, to, from grow, sure. growing to come back to income. When do you know? Well, when that I point think is? I think of I think of a retirement portfolio in three buckets. Bucket number one is the cash and the really super duper safe stuff. And I'm going to have one to three years worth of money in that bucket. Mm-hmm. Bucket number two is a little bit racier, but not wild. I'm going to have perhaps balanced mutual funds, municipal bonds, corporate bonds. Again, maybe some I bonds if inflation is still running high. And that's going to have one to three years worth of money in it. So I've got up to six years worth of money that's not wild and crazy at all. 
And then every, every penny that would be used to fund years seven and beyond, that's the money that is in a true portfolio of stocks and bonds, and it is growing to outpace taxes and inflation. If I've got six years worth of money in a really super duper conservative position when you retire and the market does what it did this year, mm -hmm. guess what? You're okay because I have taken money. I have extricated some dollars from the market so that when you retire, you've got cash to live on and you've bought yourself time to wait out a market like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because you hear people that say, oh, I've got a financial plan. They set it. They forget it. It's done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That is not true, is it? I mean, these financial no. plans are fluid. They, they, they move. They change. They, they, they are almost alive. <laughs> Well, and, and if you're doing true financial planning, and I, and I talked about this the last time I was on the air, a true financial plan is going to analyze your cash flow, your income taxes, your insurances, investments. It's going to do a deep retirement analysis, and it's going to look at your estate planning. So when I talk about doing true financial planning, that's what I mean. Gotcha. So if you've done a true blue financial plan, you're going to want to monitor that plan. And I've had clients who have monitored their plans on a daily basis wow. this year. And the way they're able to do that is we have all of our financial planning online. Our clients can log in multiple times a day if they wish. They can leave it logged in all day every day if they wish. Oh, wow. They can see their financial plans live. And and it's 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 a, a wonderful world of financial planning that we're in these days. When I first started this back in the late 90s, I'd go into a meeting with a yellow pad and a pencil. We had a computer lab down the hall, and some financial planners used it and some didn't. <laughs> these days, everything is integrated into this, this one financial planning universe that clients have access to 24-7. And if they choose to link their various accounts into this as the account values change that plans updated real time. Mm -hmm. So you always know exactly where you stand in regard to sending your kids to college, buying that new home, retiring, taking all those trips that you want to take. The, the financial plan is a living, breathing thing. It's not a book that goes on the shelf. I've heard a lot of people that don't want to do this, especially some of the older folks, because Putting things online is dangerous. I don't want to, I don't want my accounts out there. It's, it's just too much of a problem. Anybody could steal it. These days, actually, if you if you follow guidelines and are secure, it's really just as secure as the bank almost if you do things correctly. Well, the financial planning program that we use is encrypted using the same standards that the big banks use. Yep. And in fact, for clients who have those accounts linked into the plan, it's a read-only functionality. There's no access to passwords. There's no access to account numbers. It's literally just going in and seeing what you have at Institution A and importing mm -hmm. the data into the plan. Yeah, and you need to it's put nothing, things... It's nothing more than that. And you need to put things into effect like two-factor authentication. So when you log in, it sends you a code. So nobody, those kinds of things make it nearly impossible for somebody to get a hold of your data if you follow the correct security guidelines. Well, and the, and the group that we use to administer this financial planning software, they actually hire hackers to come in and try to hack them. Oh, wow. Because they want to know where the holes are. They want to know where the weaknesses are. Sounds like a lot of fun. I remember the, the movie 100 years ago called Sneakers with Robert Redford. Do you remember that movie? 
Never saw that uh, one. They were hired to go into a bank and hack a bank, and it was just kind of a fun movie. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's old, but it was fun. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. If you'd like to dial in and talk to Dina Arnett, who's in the studio with us here today, we'll take another quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls. Again, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Back in a moment. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. And here's another Money Minute with Larry Rosenthal. We've all heard the more risk you get, the more opportunity there is for growth in returns in your investments. However... Can you have too much risk in your investments so that you get diminishing returns? You can only water ski behind one boat at a time. Make sure your risk-adjusted return is aligned with your investment objectives. with your financial plan today at LarryRosenthal.com or call right now for the Financial Planning Toolkit, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Yeah, we'd love it if you'd give us a call, 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123 is the number to call to talk to. Dina Arnett, who's live here in studio with us today. Uh, it's been an interesting day so far, Dina. I mean, we've been talking about some of the scary things, inflation and what that could be happening, what could happen with that, and what are the other things that we need to talk about today. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about Larry Rosenthal doing something interesting, jumping off a building. You know, well, He's not going to jump <laughs> off. He's going to repel. Okay. He's, he's going to be suited up. Well, you know he's me. I've got to have these. He's going to be know. safe. <laughs> i got to have as these. As safe as you can be when you're scaling a building. I mean, uh, okay. Yeah. Yes, but yes, safe. Larry's going to rappel down a building in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. It's a little in two scary. Weeks. Yeah, a little scary. But it'll be on the twenty seventh, and it's mm-hmm. for helping Haitian angels. And if you'd like to help Larry out, you can go to helpinghaitianangels dot com. They're their website, and put a little money there to kind of help him uh, raise money for these folks. Very good cause. Very Absolutely. wonderful cause for 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 helping Haitian angels. Think about that if you have an opportunity. You know. Does it show? I haven't been to the website yet, Chris. Does it show where he's going to be doing it? Can we go watch? Uh, I don't think we can watch it live. I do have some footage. I'll bring it into the studio next week, and we'll we'll do some footage from the last time he did it, which was very interesting. That would be great. Yeah, I'll do that. Good, good on him. You won't see me doing that. No? Oh. No. Man. No, sir. I went skydiving when I was 25, did it twice. That was before kids. That was before mortgages and, and life obligations. No, thanks. Bucket list was enough, right? One time. It's on there. It's done. I did it twice. <laughs> All right. Well, on the phone with us now is Bill from Dumfries. Bill, welcome. What's your question here for Dina this morning? Hey, Bill. Yes. Hi. How you doing? Good. Um, my question is concerning um, your discussion a couple of weeks ago. I was able to listen to your conversation on financial planning, and um, my concern is concerning the income tax planning part of it. Um, for the last couple of years, um, when I get my tax information at year end, I notice that 
or I'm kind of surprised that there's a lot of capital gain taxes on there or dollar amounts that have to be pay capital gains on. I'm just wondering, is there something that I can do during the year to kind of get an estimate of what those capital gains will be at year end and plan for that so I'm not surprised by this big tax increase that I have to pay at year end? Certainly, certainly. That's a great question, and I hear this a lot, Bill, because if you're invested in mutual funds, you've hired a mutual fund manager to buy and sell stocks for you. And if that manager buys and sells stocks during the course of the year, you're going to have the dreaded capital gains distribution. So you understand that if you buy Home Depot, at $100 a share and you sell it at $125 a share, you've got a capital gain of $25 a share that you owe taxes on. If you're buying individual stocks, you have the control over that. If you're buying mutual funds, you do not. Companies do estimate their capital gains. They usually don't give you their estimates until the fourth quarter. If you're managing this all on your own, Bill, you can go on the website of the individual mutual fund companies. And starting in October-ish, they will start giving their capital gains estimate information. It'll be right there on the website. So if what you want is the data, it's usually on the web in the fourth quarter. If you're working with a financial advisor, a financial advisor can help you gather that data and help give you some estimates on that. If you're working with a financial advisor or if you're not, what you may want to do is take those mutual funds that are generating these capital gains for you every single year. And you may want to find a comparable ETF that stands for exchange traded fund. They tend to be more tax efficient than mutual funds. You may be able to get similar performance without the tax drag if you make that switch. Not all ETFs are created equal. You need to be able to analyze those and understand the strategy behind them. There are actually passive ETFs, which means they invest in a group of stocks and that group never changes. That's the most tax efficient. But there are also active ETFs where some of that buying and selling is going on throughout the course of the year. You want to be able to determine which of those works best for you, which most closely mirrors the strategy that you've got going on right now, and make a decision whether to keep the actively managed mutual fund or switch to an ETF. If that's not analysis that you're entirely comfortable doing, of course, we can help you with that. One thing I will say, there is an upside to the capital gains conversation. I, I'll use the Home Depot example from earlier. If I buy Home Depot at $100 a share, and I've got these these dividends and things that I'm reinvesting over time, Yes, every single year I'm paying tax on those dividends, but when I pay tax on that dividend, that becomes part of the cost basis. So if I've got a 9% dividend, boy, wouldn't that be nice? Um, my $100 a share cost basis becomes $109 a share cost basis. So each year as you pay taxes on those capital gains and those dividends, you're helping yourself on the back end, but I understand what you're saying, Bill, that tax, that tax invoice uh, in, in the early part of each year, it's not a fun thing. If you need some help with that, let us know. Yeah, and I actually do have a financial planner that I 
deal with, so I'll probably reach out to him and see if he can kind of help me near the end of October or, or the October time frame. They should have access to the capital gains distribution estimates, and that's what these companies give. They give estimates uh, usually in the fourth quarter. Some places won't give them until December. Wonderful. Thank you very much. All right, Bill. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Bill. All right. Well, that's a good problem to have, isn't it, to have some capital gains? If well, you know, it's a good problem, and, and sometimes it's it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. Yeah. If we end up 2022 with negative market returns and big capital gains distributions that we have to pay taxes on in 2023, oh, yeah. that's a bit of a bitter pill. Indeed. But as a mutual fund investor, that's something that you have to contend with unless you've got those funds in an IRA or a 401k that is tax deferred. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, if you'd like to dial in, 855-767-3123 is our phone number here. And Dina will answer your call, 855-ROSE-123. Another thing you can do, by the way, is go to the new website. It's got nice new paint yes. on it. It's shiny. It's the Larry Rosenthal.com or... Um, Rosenthal, Rosenthal Wealth, Wealth Management. Management.com. Yeah, it's a pretty neat place to go. There's lots of new things out there, new bells and whistles. So get an opportunity to go to RosenthalWealthManagement.com or LarryRosenthal.com. Interesting that you bring up the website. I was going to direct our audience to that as well. There's an education tab on the website where you can go and you can actually read our blog. We have a Rosenthal Wealth Management group blog a blog we got a blog we heard that word in a while now blog. i know i had to look up what blog meant a while back it's it's short for web log oh okay logging your i guess events or the calendaring of what you do or what you exactly yeah. there's um on august 7th we put up a blog post about risk management and asset allocation And that's a really important thing to understand as an investor. Asset allocation is, is from a 10,000-foot view, it's the split between the stocks, bonds, and cash in your investment portfolio. It sounds really straightforward, but it is one of the biggest determinants of the rate of return in your portfolio. There was a guy... Oh, I don't remember. Decades ago, Harry Markowitz, he's the father of modern asset allocation, and he found out statistically that your blend of stocks, bonds, and cash determines 95% of your portfolio's return over time. Wow. So it's a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. Each each of those broad asset classes has its own set of risk and reward, and, and the mix that you use should depend on your time horizon, your financial goals, and what Larry calls that sleep test. How nervous does all this make you? <laughs> so... So let's talk about the different types of investments you can use. You've heard about stocks. Um, another name, another buzzword for stocks is equities. That allows you to sh- own shares of a publicly traded company. And when you invest in stocks, you have a higher potential return on your investment than bonds or cash. If the company has a bad year, as you well know, the stock price can take a downturn. And if you cash out while that stock is in a downturn, you lose money. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got stocks, bonds. Bonds overall have been a steadier source of income over time. 
but they can be subject to interest rates, inflation risk, and you're, you should expect a lower rate of return on bonds than stocks. One thing that, that I find a lot of people don't understand about bonds, Chris, is that bonds absolutely can lose money. Oh, people okay. Don't, people I, don't realize that. I if actually don't I, understand bonds very well in general. I don't think a lot of investors really understand what they are about. Why would you use them? That kind of a thing. Bonds, if, if I'm looking at a bond from the perspective of the company that's issuing the bond, that's a debt to that company. Okay. Okay. So if, if I'm, as an investor, own a bond, I'll use Home Depot again. Let's suppose Home Depot's issuing bonds. I don't know if they are or not, but I buy a Home Depot bond, and it's a 5% bond. Home Depot owes me two things. They owe me my 5% payment of bond interest every single year until that bond matures. Mm. And then when my bond matures, same as a CD, okay? We understand maturities. CDs mature, bonds mature. So when my bond matures, Home Depot owes me the principal value of my bond back. Okay. So I loan Home Depot, let's say hypothetically, I loan Home Depot $10,000. And for borrowing my $10,000, they're going to give me 5%. That's 500 bucks a year. And we do this for 10 years. So I'm going to get my $500 a year for 10 years. And then at the end of that 10th year, I get my $10,000 back. Well, you say that 5%, that's not a fixed number, is it? I mean, that's... It a, is. Oh, it is. Okay. On a bond... You've got a fixed maturity date, and you've got a fixed interest rate. Oh, it's like but, a away. but if I buy a bond on the day it's issued, I'll get it for its face value. So if it's a $10,000 bond, and I am lucky enough to buy that $10,000 bond the day it's printed, wonderful. No harm, no foul. I'll hold the thing for 10 years. I'll collect my 5%, and I'll move on with my life. But... If I buy it any time after it's issued, I may pay more than $10,000 for it. I may pay less. If prevailing interest rates are lower than that 5%, I will probably pay more than $10,000 for that bond. That's called buying at a premium. There are all kinds of calculations that bond traders do to determine what your yield will be. If you have to buy at a premium or if you have to buy at a discount, the bond side of this equation can get very complicated. If you're buying individual bonds, one thing you can hold on to, there's a definite start date, there's a definite stop date, and there's definite interest. If you buy bond mutual funds, you don't get those assurances. There's not a maturity date on a bond mutual fund. There's not a maturity date on a bond ETF. Okay, but are you affected by the interest rates with those bonds? Absolutely. Yes, I would think so. And those move. Those interest rates absolutely move. Because just like we were talking about with Bill a minute ago, when we buy a bond mutual fund, we're hiring a fund manager to buy and sell bonds for us. And depending on what they buy or sell, the interest yield may go up, it may go down. And you may have some sort of capital gain to contend with in a bond fund. Good times. You know, a little, still a little, I'm still a little confused about bonds. I mean, I guess it's just because they are a complicated mechanism when you think about They're it. more complicated than people realize. They want to equate them to a CD, and there are definite similarities. But you can't lose money on a CD. You can definitely lose money on a bond. 
And there's different kinds of bonds. There's muni bonds. There's depends. There's on corporate bonds. There's municipal bonds. There's high yield bonds. Bonds have credit ratings. We've got a whole credit rating system for bonds. Yeah, and it does sound like that bonds are also um, they are subject to volatility, just like anything else. Uh, Not as wild as the stock market. Bonds don't tend to move as rapidly or with as big a number as stocks. But yes, there's volatility in bonds as well. When the market was in free fall earlier this year, bonds lost money too. But isn't that depending on what kind of a bond it is, right? Yes. Because you can be very conservative, just like you can be very conservative with any investment where it's not going to lose money based on your risk level and all of that. Well, and, and there's a, a nice little subset of bonds that I haven't yet mentioned, and this is U.S. Treasuries. Okay. A lot of people have been asking about I-bonds. These are inflation-protected U.S. Treasuries. These are the bonds that don't lose money. That's more like a CD in a lot of ways. When you get in a lot of ways, yes. And while I'm talking about I-bonds, you buy I-bonds on treasurydirect.gov. You can buy up to $10,000 a year of them. And right now, the interest yield on an I-bond is, is north of 9%. Hmm. The Treasury adjusts that interest rate every six months. And as long as you hold that bond for at least a year, you get to keep most of the interest. If you liquidate that bond in less than five years, you're going to give back three months' worth of the interest. After that five-year mark, you get to keep all of it. Would you say so that treasuries, a- treasuries don't fit exactly what yeah. I was saying about corporate yeah. bonds and municipal bonds. That makes sense. I mean, would you recommend a, a mix of some, some bonds in your portfolio anyway, regardless of who you are? For someone who has a need or a desire to mitigate risk, to mitigate volatility. If you're somebody who doesn't like the wild roller coaster ride of being invested in 100% stocks, usually the way we mitigate that volatility is by inserting a sleeve of bonds, a certain percentage. You've heard people talk about, oh, I have a 60-40 portfolio. That means they have 60% stocks and 40% bonds and cash. So you can you can manipulate those ratios depending on what your risk tolerance is, depending on your time horizon. A lot of retirees have that si- sort of setup with their retirement income portfolios. They know they need to keep pace with taxes and inflation over time, but the portfolio also needs to generate income. Mm. So that's how we do it. <laughs> Lots of moving parts. Indeed. I'm, I am glad. Indeed. That, I'm glad there's a financial planner there at Rosenthal Wealth Management uh, that's doing this, yourself and others included. If you'd like to get involved with that, you certainly can. Get the financial planning toolkit. Get started with a financial plan just by going to the RosenthalWealthManagement.com or LarryRosenthal.com. The website's there. It's brand new, and there's lots of different information there. In the closing seconds that we have here, let's kind of wrap up what we were talking about today. Well, we've talked about so much today. Yeah. We got some we got some some relieving inflation reports this week. The market has rallied on that and enjoy it. Enjoy the nice market rally that we've got going on right now, but remember in the back of your mind, one data point does not create a trend. We're going to be watching the inflation numbers over the next handful of months. We're going to be watching how the Federal Reserve responds to those inflation reports. Are they going to raise interest rates another three quarters of a percentage point when they meet in September, or might they loosen up and and raise only a half a point? 
Time will tell, but your financial plan should dictate your asset allocation, not your emotions, not the the ebbs and flows of the market. So if you need a financial plan, call us. 855-767-3123. That number rings into the offices during the week, and you can certainly call right now to find out more information as well. 855-767-3123. LarryRosenthal.com or RosenthalWealthManagement.com. Dina, thank you so much for being here today. So good to see you. Yeah, you too. Talk to you again next time on another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show. Have a great week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.